and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today we return to Jude Voice 1 to see the two precious names that all believers in Jesus Christ have. Understanding these names can help us to resist false teachers. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. If you know Christ as Savior by faith, you have been called by the Spirit of God, those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, those who are kept for Jesus Christ. Let's see that again in verse 1, the three precious names. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Before I unpack these three names and their significance for us battling false teachers, may I just review with you that uh, doulos in the Greek, Jude uh, doulos of Jesus Christ, a bond servant was a special kind of servant, a servant who although he was emancipated every seventh year by the law of God for the Jews, a bond servant, a doulos, was someone who said, I couldn't think of a more kind and reasonable and good master. Therefore, I will present myself to him on my seventh year of emancipation to be his bondservant, his doulos. I will be for life gladly his servant. That's a calling on each of our lives. The Romans 12, 1 and 2 truth is really calling us all to choose to be bond slaves or servants of Jesus Christ. Well, Jude called himself a bond servant of Jesus Christ. But I want us to see what God the Holy Spirit in Scripture called the first readers of Jude and what he still calls you and me as secondary 21st century readers of the book. Three things. Those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. These three names will be very significant in each of us identifying false teachers and in us standing against false teachers in the truth of the scriptures. So let's unpack these three names. To begin with, let's unpack the name, those who are the called. Question, to what and to whom have true Christians been called? Well, we have been called to an experiential and not merely to an intellectual knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. When God called us to salvation in his son, God called us to an experiential and not merely an intellectual knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. I was at a hockey game in Newark yesterday afternoon with a friend from the church. It's good to see hockey, I, I love it. Fast game, pretty even, good goaltending. I used to be a goalie, so I always watch the goalies. Dave up there used to be a goalie too. The thing that makes hockey so interesting to me is I've played hockey. I've experienced hockey. I understand how the game works. I understand how hard it is to play. I have an experiential knowledge of hockey. I am not theoretical or just intellectual about the game. We have been called to have an experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not just an intellectual head knowledge of him. The second thing to which we have been called 
is to an identification with the Lord Jesus, an identification with him and his righteousness, an identification with him in his crucifixion, an identification with him in his resurrection, an identification with him in his life, the very life of Christ, the eternal life. Great things to which to be called. And this, this calling to an experiential knowledge of God through Jesus Christ and to an identification with the Lord Jesus Christ, this is precisely why false teachers are not to mix with true Christians. True Christians know and stand on the truth. False teachers twist the truth, deny the truth, morph the truth, lie, making it try to look like truth. True Christians know and stand for the truth. False teachers traffic in lies. True Christians know and stand in a death to themselves, but in the contrast, false teachers promote and advance themselves. One of the ways to see a false teacher is that that man or woman is really advancing themselves. They are not saying with John the Baptist of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. That's the truth. He must increase and I must decrease. The false teacher says, I must increase. By the way, I find it very interesting that the human author, a man named Jude, the human author of this book never bothers even to tell us that he was the Lord Jesus Christ's half-brother. That is because... He's not advancing himself. He's advancing truth. He is not a false teacher. He is a human author inspired by the Holy Spirit who wrote scripture. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Hmm. Humility. Jude was humble. He gave just enough of his identification and his upbringing to be credible but not all of his identification so as to be a name dropper or so as to be boastful or so as to be self-advancing. I'd like to share one last thing about our endearing name, those who are the called. Will you please notice that we are called? It's a continuing present tense action of God. He does the calling, we do the answering, he does it, in the present time, he's done it in the past time, he's done it in the present time, and he ever will do it in the future. God calls his own to experiential knowledge of Christ and salvation and to identification with the Lord Jesus Christ as our identity. We are called. Those who are called. It's a continuing present. We have been called from eternity past. We are currently being called and we ever will be called. God's electing call to salvation is sure and it is ever enduring. Now let's move on to the second precious and endearing name which God the Holy Spirit has for you if you're born again. It is beloved in God the Father. Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father. What does that imply? The concept loved here in verse one 
is a perfect tense participle. The perfect tense in Greek describes a completed action in the past which has enduring results. The perfect tense in Greek describes an action that's been completed in the past time, but an action that goes on having enduring results. I, as you know well, am married to Beth. That was an action in the past time in 1983, our ceremony of marriage. And that completed, done wedding ceremony before God and witnesses, that finished and completed pastime action has had continuing result right on through to today in 2012. And that pastime action of our wedding ceremony will continue to have enduring result on past 2012 until either the rapture of the church or one of us physically dies. That is the idea of the perfect tense. And so here, God is saying to you, if you know Christ as Lord and Savior, that you are beloved of God, a completed action in time past, but the beloving of you by God is an enduring result. It is a perfect tense participle. That's encouraging. God is not fickle. God does not divorce us. Your heavenly Father loved you before you were even conceived, and he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for all of your sins, past, present, and future, and that act of love and sacrifice continues to have enduring result, effect, and benefit towards you tonight and until either the rapture of the church when it will not stop forever. That's amazing grace. True Genuine Christians are loved with that kind of unimprovable, undiminishable, undepreciable Heavenly Father love. Do you know what that means? That fact ought to wake us up so as to prevent us from being false teachers and so as to prevent us from buying into what false teachers will try to sell us by way of error and lie and heresy. And now, today's personal God story. Pastor Elliot's God story continues today, from his best friend's drowning to his own repentance from sin while attending his buddy's funeral. My grade point average, even if I walk out early, will be high enough for me to get into any Canadian university I want. I've done all the work. My grades are so high. And that's what he did. He went around one Friday in the spring, said goodbye to all his teachers, and he quit school. Well, that was a shock. But he did it, and he went away by himself. He didn't go to Oahu, the main island in Hawaii. He went to Maui, which was an undeveloped island back then. This was in the, the um, late 70s. And um, he was camping on the beach in Maui by himself. And uh, we didn't have any email or anything like that, a cell phone. So I was talking with him by letter. And he was telling me of his adventures in Maui. And we were exchanging letters. And um, what happened, David was on the beach camping by himself in the riptide season. And he didn't know it. 
and uh, the warnings that were posted in the hotels about reptides for the guests of the hotels, he had no benefit of those warnings. So one day he went swimming by himself. He was a lifeguard. He was a very good swimmer. But he got caught in a riptide and he drowned. And um, I got wind of it um, because his mother phoned our house early one morning, like one, one in the morning to say that David had died and he was in Hawaii and I've been wakened out of a dead sleep and she gave me her new married name. She had been divorced and I never knew her new married name. So when she gave her first and her new married last name, I had no idea that the death she was reporting was my best friend's death. I never got it, but eventually I got it. And um, they brought David's body back and my dad was the funeral director for his funeral. And his mother said, you know, we never went to church, but, but um, if we ever would have gone to a church, we would have gone to your church because he liked you a lot. And you think your pastor would do his funeral. Wow. So we asked, of course, our pastor did his funeral. And I should say, I should loop back that um, although I was compromised in grade 12 before I went to Hawaii. I, I, I asked David about salvation and about had he trusted Jesus to be his savior and shouldn't he do that? Wouldn't that be a good idea? And although, and uh, although my life was a mess and uh, he said, well, is this what you asked me about when we were in grade seven? I said, yeah, exact same thing. He said, well, I don't think I'll do anything about it because it you know, really hasn't seen any change in you. It doesn't seem to make any difference to you. So, there I was at it, going fast forward again to his funeral. I'm sitting in the front pew of my church with my pastor preaching about how you get to heaven through Christ and only through Christ. All my classmates were there. The church was packed. I'm a pallbearer. I'm sitting in the front row and I'm thinking, as far as I know, my best friend's in hell. And as far as I know, I don't know anybody else who knew Christ that he knew. I was the only one. And I tried to share Christ with him twice. The first time my life lined up with it. But then all those years later, when I did it a second time, my life didn't line up with it. And I really don't think he's in heaven. I think he's in hell. And I was crushed. And I wept in the front row of that funeral. I, everybody thought I was weeping about losing my friend, and I was. I was very, very upset about losing my best friend to death. But I was equally or even more upset of my wasted life, my my compromised sinful life that I had just not lived like Jesus was my Lord. I was saved, but I had lived like Jesus was not my Lord. And I think it had cost my best friend his eternity. And basically I repented in that front row in that funeral. And just in the silence of my heart, I, I told God how sorry I was for sinning in the way I had. And that if he ever could use me after I had come back to him in the best of my ability. I'd be happy for him to use me any way he wanted to use me. It was a very simple prayer, but it was a very heartfelt prayer. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters 
at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. Our next question comes from Luke chapter 9 and verse 60, which reads, But he, Jesus, said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. The question is, what did Jesus mean, allow the dead to bury their own dead? In Luke chapter 9, verses 59 to 61, Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of God takes priority over other temporal issues. When calling a follower, someone responded, permit me first to go and bury my father. That's what it says in verse 59. Burial was a very important duty in Jewish society. According to the Talmud, it took precedence over the study of the law, over temple service, over killing the Passover lamb, over the observance of circumcision. But here Jesus taught that the demands of the kingdom are of the highest priority. He said, allow the dead to bury their own dead in verse 60. By this, he meant that the spiritually dead could care for those who were physically dead. It is probable that the man's father was not dead at the time he spoke to Jesus. His words were more of an excuse. He was saying, let me take care of my father until his death and then I'll follow you. Jesus was teaching that those who are alive to Christ should make his kingdom their highest priority. Of course, Hurricane Matthew has swept over the Caribbean and the Bahamas in particular. It was the first hurricane that uh, me and my family ever endured. And uh, in the quieter moments uh, during that hurricane and since, I've been able to think about some life lessons that I've learned and I thought I might share those with you this morning. There is a lesson that we are not in control. We are not in control. In Job 38, 1 to 11, we read these things. God is responding to Job and uh, says this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set the measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who has laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth it went out from the womb? When I made a cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and I placed boundaries on it, and I set a bolt and doors, and I said, Thus far you shall come, but no farther. And here shall your proud waves stop? We are not in control. We were not in control of Hurricane Matthew. We are not in control of the lengths of our lives. We are not in control of certain effects that link up with certain causes. And certainly we are not in control of the laws of nature. But we know the one who is, and that should make all the difference. 
A lesson I learned was we need each other. We need each other. The adversity, the pressure, the shortages, the deprivations that we all experienced showed us afresh that we need each other. None of us is an island. Romans 14, 7. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. Goes on in verse 8, For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord. So the primary thrust of these two verses is that we're to see that we are not uh, alone, we need God, but we also see as a secondary application, we also need each other. Christianity is not a solo sport. It is a team sport, and the hurricane reminded us of that as believers. Here's another lesson. Stuff is only stuff. What we own isn't what we really are, isn't really going to last, isn't going to make it to heaven with us when we go there through Jesus Christ. Stuff is only stuff. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus was saying it's really a bad idea to make the things of earth your treasure because he said moth will eat up garments and rust will destroy cars and we could say hurricanes will do a lot of damage so that we have to throw stuff out. We needed to learn again that stuff is only stuff. A lesson I learned through the hurricane, uh, we take things for granted. We oftentimes take things for granted. In Matthew 6, 28, Jesus, still in the Sermon on the Mount, said, And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin, verse 29, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself with one of these. It seems to me that uh, we take things for granted when things are going easy, and uh, we don't look at lilies, we don't look at flowers usually, we don't marvel at the creation of that beauty, but uh, that's not just flowers that we take for granted in, a, in easier times, we take our health for granted, often we take our mates for granted, our conveniences, we assume, uh, a cup of coffee, traffic lights, a light switch that makes us have light. We take for granted the basics like hot water, the ability to go outside and walk or swim. And in the hurricane, we were reminded that all of those things ought not to be taken for granted. We ought to thank God and trust God for those kind of things. I saw in the hurricane, that the best and the worst in us is drawn out. The hurricane peeled back some of the best within Bahamians, but it also peeled back some of the worst. And I think of in the New Testament, Peter's uh, denials uh, under pressure of uh, even knowing Christ, and yet uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a secret follower of Jesus in the Sanhedrin after Christ was crucified, he publicly offered up the use of his family's tomb, new tomb, for Jesus' body. Uh, adversity and pressure 
can bring out the worst in people or the best. I think of some of the positive examples of the best of Bahamians that came out, the people sharing their refrigerators, those who had generators, or sharing their freezer space, those who had generators, uh, some in cases sharing their generators. Um, I think of people who fed the pot cake dogs on the street to keep them alive. Uh, I think of people that took others into their homes for shelter and safety. Those were some of the best things that were drawn out of Bahamians in the storm. But there were also some of the worst things drawn out. You know, having to have police stationed at the gas stations to keep the peace. Some individuals knew the kind of things that Bahamians needed to buy and they raised those prices and were price gouging. Some reprehensible thieves stole all the, the brand new computers out of the computer lab at the elementary school. Um, so the storm brought out both the best and the worst. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.